2: Hour three underway here on Sports Talk Saturday on WGR. And joining me live from the beautiful, sunny, not smelly at all, New Jersey. Just kidding. It's not that smelly. It's a decent city. Anyways, uh, New Jersey He's showing me now. Anyways, on the Western Hotline, John Scott from Spectrum News. John, thanks for joining me, man. How's uh, Is, is it as is it nice out there in Newark or wherever you are in Jersey as it is here in Buffalo? Because it's like 70 degrees. It's beautiful
0: here. It's pushing upper seventies, maybe 80 degrees. Here. It's awesome. And I stay by the stadium. I can, we just got to our hotel. I can literally see MetLife from here. The problem with that is there's like literally nothing around here. I mean, if people think there's nothing by the stadium in Orchard park, at least you have the big tree and other things. There's like one joint around here to, to really do. Now they did just build this like mall of America yep. type thing that's, that I might go check out. But, uh, I want to find a patio and, and enjoy some college football, especially if my Buckeyes start getting their act together. Yeah, I don't – that's the weird thing. I've been there before.
2: Well, I've driven by before, and I thought to myself, okay, they're building a mall like that surrounds this area. But before the mall was built, when they built that stadium originally, John, it was in the middle of like a marsh. Like there was nothingness <laughs> there.
0: Yeah, and to be honest, it, it's maybe the most – Plain cookie cutter yes. stadium in all of football. Yes, I mean I, there are some that are more of a dump, like RFK with the Commanders and stuff. That they're just they're worse stadiums. But in terms of a newer stadium, it just has no character. And and I was afraid that the Bills in their their budget battle of sorts to build a new stadium would would maybe model it more in that vein. Thankfully, these renderings show different.
2: Yeah, the outside sort of like it. It looks like it belongs on Rikers Island or something like the outside. It just doesn't really have the feel, the vibe of like, you're going to come here for four hours. You're going to have a good time. You're going to watch a good, you know, you're going to w- go watch a good product on the field. Cause the worst part about that whole stadium might not be the outside, John. It might be the turf itself. Like the turf monster there at MetLife is like lauded as one of the worst turf surfaces in football.
0: Right. And interestingly enough, maybe because you know, he wouldn't answer it. Sean McDermott, I don't believe was, asked specifically in terms of the return of Tredavious White if the turf would play a factor. I don't think he would go down that road, so I don't think we're missing any information. But there's no doubt they think about it, and um, we'll just see if he goes or not. And and I would assume one way or the other that, that would be in the talking points that they are having leading up to tomorrow's game.
2: Yeah, I'm I'm good if they want to punt on that until next week. Like I like I'm full on good with that. And you know, for the sake of not trying to overlook the next opponent, considering the team they're going to be playing in a week, like I was talking about this with Matt Lombardo who I had on just a little while ago. Like, "John, I I I, I we can do it because we're the media, we look ahead because it's kind of our job, but I know the team isn't necessarily looking ahead. I know how much this organization values those games against division opponents." So I know they won't be looking past this game, but man, that matchup looks very juicy next week against the Minnesota Vikings, no?
0: Absolutely. Um, now I will say and I've been hammering this home. I did it on our podcast with Kevin Carroll, my coworker. I don't sleep on the on the Jets defense. Offensively, especially if James Robinson doesn't go, they're already down Brees Hall. We understand the quarterback limitations. So the Bills defense versus the Jets offense, absolutely Bill's strongly have have the advantage there but i don't think you can overlook the Jets in terms of what the bill's offense is going to be able to do against that defense that is very talented and performing well and has faced some really good wide receivers and soft gardeners lived up to it so you want to get to the minnesota game and and potentially see tredavious white make his debut or get some run against justin jefferson and adam Thielen and, and the cook brothers and all of these things but i I'm not going to just skirt right past tomorrow's game because I don't think the Bills are going to lose, but I don't think it's going to be your traditional come to the Meadowlands and, and roll out pretty easy. John
2: Scott here on our Wester Hotline from Spectrum News, covers the bills for Spectrum, and uh, so, John, let's talk a little bit more and, and maybe drill down on this game this week. I was talking to, uh, I mean, we talked to Dan Leberfeld of Jets Confidential earlier this week. Uh, I talked to Antoine Staley of the New York Daily News t- earlier today, right before I had you on, and the kind of consensus is everyone is sort of st- sidestepping. It feels like the question of, like, when is going to be the time to bench Zach Wilson, and all of them sort of feel like, ah, eh, like they're not there yet, there's this balance that they they want to continue developing this quarterback that the players the locker room they're being patient about this they know there's ups and downs in developing a quarterback but man the ups and downs is one thing but it it doesn't feel like there's been very many ups with Zach Wilson. There's been one quarter, the fourth quarter against Pittsburgh where he was really the catalyst for that comeback in that game that they ultimately won against Pittsburgh. But that was a Pittsburgh te- team coming off the bills 38 to three game. Like it's not, it's not like they beat some powerhouse and Zach Wilson led the charge and, and, and like it's one quarter of football and the rest has been, I mean, bad, not good. Like not even borderline. Just it's been bad. like, do do you expect, especially in New York, knowing the fan base, knowing the media, like if, if this isn't a close game, if they bills cover, it's like a thirteen and a half spread right now, if the bills cover and Zach Wilson looks like he's been looking over the past couple of weeks, how do you expect that stadium to react? And, and, and do you believe that, that, that maybe the leash is starting to shorten on
0: him? I don't know why it should. And it's also just so ironic that, this conversation is being had as Josh Allen comes into town. I mean, I, I really, it dawned on me a week ago going into the Packers game, reminiscing and remembering how absolutely horrible Allen was when they played the Packers at Lambeau in 2018. I mean, conversations were had, okay, yeah, it's a third start, but all of the baggage that came with him and, and criticism and then it, it's playing out onto the field in 2018 early before he got hurt. You're thinking, oh my God, like, (laughs) here we go again. And that's what I keep wondering around the league with not just Wilson and the Jets, but some of these other younger quarterbacks, Justin Fields and things like that is how are teams going to approach it? Now, job security certainly plays a role in in where certain coaching staffs are in their tenure, but Allen is absolutely an outlier. But, is he also an example of patience should be preached with these young quarterbacks because they don't necessarily have to get it in two years. Can you continue to build up around them? And then if you don't see it in the third year or whatnot, and Wilson obviously he's had more poor moments than good ones. And again, I'm not comparing him to Josh Allen. It's just an interesting dynamic, but the Jets are five and three. What would be the reasoning to go to Mike White? Or go back to Joe Flacco. Why would you why would they do that? Because are you trying to make the playoffs? I mean, is would that be the, the reasoning? I just to me, just run the string out as far as you can with Wilson and at least this year and then go and address the quarterback in a loaded class yeah. next season if you feel that you want to and need to move on from the guy that you drafted really early just a few years ago.
2: And they've got draft capital, and I think they're a unique situation, John, because they're a roster that is very clearly has a nice mix of young uh, really good up-and-coming players and veterans. C.J. Mosley is still really at the top of his game, playing very well in the middle of that Jets defense. Quinn and Williams, much like Ed Oliver, coming into his own um, in year four and, and is likely on route to a big contract extension. Their draft class has 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 played very well. Obviously losing Brees Hall hurts, but like this feels like a roster that's a young quarterback or at least an established quarterback, someone that can be better than Wilson's been, away from being a – Maybe not a contender, but being a very competitive football team, and like they—they remind me a lot of like where San Francisco was two years ago when they traded all those uh, those assets to move up to get Trey Lance. And like you're right, I mean, if it doesn't work this year, I, I do think you give Zach Wilson every opportunity to to stop you from doing that. But they're in a position where they've got the assets, they've got the draft capital, and they've got the roster where it makes sense to maybe go all in next year and and draft that quarterback of the future. But i got to tell you, not many NFL general managers get two cracks at drafting a quarterback in the top five.
0: I love what they have done drafting the rest of the roster. I loved the Elijah Moore pick for whatever reason. I don't know what's going on with him and them and why it hasn't really blossomed, but talent-wise, I loved him. I was on that train for the Bills to take him when he fell down there and they ultimately selected Greg Rousseau instead. I liked Denzel Mims, even though that hasn't worked out. But Garrett Wilson, I'm an Ohio State guy, saw him for years. He's very good. I even like the idea of Corey Davis. And, and you know, you overpay in free agency all the time. And he was before some of these other additions here. But a nice, complimentary guy in in that wide receiver room. I like what they've done with certain additions like uh, Elijah Vera Tucker's hurt, but I liked that selection. I like obviously things they've done defensively. You mentioned Quinn and Williams finally starting to ascend into that interior presence that they had hoped he would be. Soft Gardner has been absolutely fantastic. So I like their young core and you're right. They still have guys that are veterans somewhat in their prime that, that are still producing here but you're right. It's coaching and quarterback. I mean, that's ultimately what it comes down to. I think at 5 and 3, you got to give some credit to the coaching staff and especially without Wilson there for a good portion of that. But they're going to have to make a decision on the quarterback and and maybe they feel almost in a similar position to Denver where they were kind of riding the Drew Lock thing and trying to fill things before and then they make the big move for Wilson which we know hasn't worked at least to this point.
2: John Scott here on our Western Hotline. He covers the bills for Spectrum. Um, John, I want to drill down here too on the Bills a bit and, and you know I saw your video this week um, kind of made the rounds on Naeem Hines first look in a Bills jersey yeah, obviously a short week for him he doesn't really get a full practice in until Wednesday because Zach Moss had a pass his physical so he wasn't able to join that uh, that Wednesday practice until later on so really he's kind of working off of only a couple of days how much impact or if at all do you expect him to play on Sunday and, and maybe do we want to start with him as the primary punt returner that doesn't take a lot of playbook knowledge to line up back there as the primary punt returner, and I know this team has maybe preferred a veteran back there. That's not to say that Khalil Shakir has done anything to lose that job, but they started the year with Jamison Crowder. The injury happened, and I think they just would prefer to have somebody back there they know has experience doing it, especially in conditions, and and a guy that's a veteran in
0: doing it. Spoke with him yesterday because I wanted to follow up after a few practices under his belt, and he said he used the words chaotic and hard in terms of, getting a grasp of the Bills' playbook. And you understand, like you said, he he gets to the team on Tuesday night but really wasn't on the field in a full capacity until Thursday. So I think in terms of offensive uh, influence this week, very minimal. Very minimal. But I do think, and he said this, he's like, I hope to get a couple returns in and then we'll kind of just see where things go offensively. I, I mean, maybe you see him for a handful of plays and maybe it's more of the the pass-catching role, but I, I think this is going to be something that it's, it's going to take maybe even beyond next week, a couple weeks here, for him to fully ingest what he, again, calls chaotic and a very challenging playbook to, to learn before we finally get a true idea of the impact he can make. John, and, like, I mean, I could
2: tell you that I think it's a great fit. I... A, a, a straddle between the idea that Naeem Hines, who has really been a supplemental piece his entire career in Indianapolis, but they still found it necessary to retain him, sign him to a four plus million dollar deal over three or four years, even when they had Jonathan Taylor. Now, I don't won't tell you or try to convince you that's smart business, but that at least means to me there was an inherent value to Hines to that Colts team. Now they decided to move on from him and, you know, listening to him talk about, you know, like he even felt like that was probably his last game and that there was clearly a time to move on. They just this year, for whatever reason, after re-signing him to that contract extension, never found a way to get him involved, which was interesting to me because Matt Ryan, you know, dumped the ball down to running backs more than maybe even Phillip Rivers did. And he really was not at like a big part of their plans offensively. Do do you see him as more than you know, a guy that may be able to you know supplement some carries and some and some third down um, opportunities. Get Devin Singletary off the field eighty five you know eighty percent of the time. And and how do you expect the trio of running backs to kind of work? And over the next couple of weeks, we're going to get a view of that. But if you were to predict, like, do you see Nyheim Hines maybe? Digging into some of Singletary's touches, or is he going to be a kind of guy that you really is going to be who he's been his whole career, which is predominantly a pass-catching back, a little bit of a nifty tool that you can use in, in in jet sweeps and screen passes, but isn't a guy that is going to line up in the backfield and really take carries away from Singletary.
0: I don't think he's going to have any effect on Devin Singletary's role. I, I think if anything, it it further cements the role that he has. When you had Zach Moss on the roster and active, you would see. Early in down. Zach Moss occasionally gets some carries, and I know most of our reactions were uniform of why are we just, do they run a guy a yard into the line of scrimmage? It was just never effective. Now you have two guys in Cook and Hines that are similar, and they don't present the skill set that Devin Singletary does as more of the guy built for early work and and ground-and-pound type performances. So I think from a sing- I think Singletary's role is continues to be the clear-cut number one. The interesting division to me is going to be Hines and Cook. And when the move was made initially, I'm thinking Cook comes off the best game of his career by also Sean McDermott and even Brandon Bean's account on top of whatever we all surmised from our own eyes. And then you get in Hines and to me, that just shows that, okay, he's making progress, but for a team in a win-now mode this season, Hines is where they ultimately want James Cook to be, and maybe better, obviously, And but he's not there yet, and they need and want the what we know where you're at right now because that's where this team is in terms of their trajectory and their, their path towards the ultimate goal. So I think it's going to be... Devin Singletary clear-cut number one. I think Hines is now going to take that secondary role. And to me, the odd man out is going to be James Cook. And I know Brandon Bean said he doesn't think it's going to really affect his role. And I'm not going to call him a liar, but but that's something I'm going to have to see to believe.
2: Yeah, I think I'm with
0: you. I. I...
2: I want to say that it feels like there's more to Naeem Hines game than just being kind of like a dump off back and a guy that's that's more of a niche role. But I got to see it to believe it And until he starts cutting into those carries. I, I, I think that's what he he ultimately will be. John, I want to uh, talk about, you know, things on the defensive side of the ball here, too. And, you know, Jordan Poyer continues to just kind of roll through an unlucky year. He's just getting so banged up, um, you know. I, he's not expected Sean McDermott came on the station yesterday said um that Jordan Poor is not expected to play tomorrow the, do, do you just expect Jaquan Johnson is going to go back there he's got the experience that he's been the de facto number two guy when when Jordan Poor is not playing or or do you expect Dean Marlowe maybe to get some looks in there as well
0: I would say it's going to be DeMar Hamlin and Jaquan Johnson I don't really see a reason why they would deter from that um both guys have, have been solid, in, in my opinion, and I think both guys have had moments you would expect from inexperienced younger players. So um, I think the Marlow move was, they'd been amazingly, and almost under the radar, rolling with just three safeties ever since the Hyde injury, which is something they never, ever do. And B knew that, all right, with Poyer down, if one of those two guys gets hurt, Johnson or Hamlin, Then you got Cam Lewis, who just started playing safety at the end of the preseason as the next man up. So I think it was the Marlowe move is just a nice, comfortable depth move. And if one of those guys gets hurt or if one of those guys, Johnson included, really starts to dip a little bit and get exposed, they know what Marlowe is, what he can do, because they've seen what he can do when he fills in for Jordan or Micah.
2: So, staying on the defensive side of the ball here, John. Um, you know, I talked about Quinton Williams and, and sort of his emergence as a really dominant force in the interior of that Jets defensive line. He's kind of been the catalyst of things they've been doing defensively. I want Ed Oliver to you. I mean, I thought Ed played an unbelievable game against the Green Bay Packers, and, and maybe it didn't show up as much on the scoreboard as, or uh, in, on the stat sheet as maybe it should have. He has really put together a dominant campaign and, and, and probably is being talked about more if he doesn't have that injury that sidelined him for a couple of weeks.
0: Absolutely. And you're right. The the sack numbers still aren't there where Williams are. He has six sacks. I mean, the league lead, I believe, is eight and a half. So for an interior guy, he's one of the best. I think Chris Jones has uh, one more than he does, but arguably the best interior guy so far this season. And Ed Oliver, you're at least noticing when the sacks aren't coming, you're still noticing his incredible penetration and pressuring of the quarterback and either how that filters and and leads to sacks for other guys or how it just affects and blows up the play. I I don't think it's one of these things where, well, if I look at the box score, I am disappointed with that. Oliver. I think people are more so seeing it with their eyes, even though the finishing of the play the way they want it to in terms of him bringing the this time happening. So, um, we will, uh, I think all is well with Oliver, and I anticipate him to continue to trend forward this season.
2: What do you make of how the, I don't know, national landscape has talked about that game on Sunday night against the Packers? Because I, I find it interesting that you know there's this. Well, the the Packers they kept it close, and the Bills didn't put the Packers away. And you know, obviously the offense struggled in the second half. There's no doubt about it. It was probably their worst their worst half of football this season. But the consistency with Josh Allen's game this year, John, has been maybe steadier. Oh, 100%. It's been steadier than in years past. And that was sort of my thing about this offense last year is... There was a lot of ebbs and flows. There was a lot of highs and there were a lot of lows. And obviously the Jacksonville game is the most notable low of last year, but we have not really seen that low this year. And and I think if that's going to be the lowest of the low, that second half of the Packers game, the bills are going to be just fine. But I, I do find it interesting how people have talked about it and framed that game. Um and, and sort of like giving the Packers credit for not getting blown out in that game. I don't know. It's just it's just been a weird conversation around that game in and, and, and really in its entirety.
0: I'll be honest with you, I don't I haven't really heard or found or searched, seeked out uh, what other national people were saying. A lot of times, and, and there's there's people I like and trust, but a lot of times they just, what do they know? They're, they're not watching. Yeah. Maybe they watched because it was a primetime game, but have they watched as detailed and, and regularly as the rest of us who so it's our job or it's our team, the people that are listening? It's like a, a lot of times I think they just do the quick gloss, and it's easy if you do the quick gloss, of everything before it, and then you watch the Packers game, and you're like, oh, okay, they stalled." Let's give some credit to Rodgers and them. and like They were running the ball down three scores at the end of the third quarter. Like, okay, it, it was as much as the Bills were giving it away and, and making this uncharacteristic mistakes, especially on Allen's part, as it was that the Packers deemed to be making decisions in terms of the way they were operating – to not get blown out. I mean, there's it's inexcusable at the end of the third quarter to be running the football when you're down three scores against that offense. Like, there's just no reasoning for it outside of you're just trying to get this thing over with without getting dumped by 30. So, uh, to me, it, it was like Allen trying to dirt the ball and throwing an interception at the goal line. Like, what in the world? And yeah. like, I, you probably will never see that again from him, ever. I mean, it's just so wild. You'll just never see something like that. And so I don't think they've played a full four-quarter football game this entire season, which to me is more indicative of where they are right now of they're winning these games by these margins, even a 10-point win against the Packers, and they haven't strung a full game together yet, in my opinion, where you're like, wow, I mean, that thing was just them at full cylinders. And I'm not saying they got to score touchdowns in every drive like they did against New England. But there's been some lulls. There's been red zone issues. There's been stupid penalties at points throughout pretty much every game this season. And it just all seemed to culminate and and hit in really uncharacteristic level of mistakes and and just poor decision-making in that Packers second half. So uh, that's what I take from it, uncharacteristic more than anything else.
2: So, John, before I let you go, um, I think the Josh Allen conversation and really the offensive conversation has – How efficient they have been, you know, short of that second half last week. Do you imagine that right now, just based on where this Bills offense is, that that Allen is just going to kind of continue to chug along. He looks to me, anyways, like he's the MVP favorite. But there are players, there are offenses in the league that are also playing at a very high and efficient level. I, I and I guess this is a backwards way of asking you about what your thoughts are about what you've seen from the Miami Dolphins now that Tua Tungavale is healthy. Um, you know, obviously, it's so hard for me because in one way I want to still be able to give credit for how good they've looked and how well they've integrated Tyreek Hill into the offense and how well that offense has functioned when Tua is healthy, but. It it's hard for me as well because I see the games that they've done it against and they've they've had their best performances against. I mean the Lions are thirty second in every major statistical category, and you know short of basically part of the third quarter and the entire fourth quarter against the Ravens. It's been – not Pedestrian isn't giving them enough credit. It just hasn't been what it's been against the really bottom-dwelling defenses in the league. So what do you make of that duo right now of Waddle and Tyree Kill? And where are you imagining that matchup in December looking um, when all things are said and done?
0: I think that it would be unfair to simply say, well, Tua was incredibly efficient, incredibly accurate – and carried that team and the passing attack to that comeback win against Detroit simply by saying Detroit's defense stinks. Because even a year ago, I don't think against a bad defense, Tua could have done what he did last weekend. And so I think you got to give some credit for doing what you're supposed to do against the teams you're supposed to do it. And if he didn't perform like he did, then that's where maybe the criticism I think should lie but I think he has taken the appropriate steps forward and he's doing what is asked of him well. And this team is winning. They have an offense that with those two weapons is, is a force and something to be reckoned with. And who knows? I I don't know if he has to be Josh Allen or, or a top five quarterback in the league for them to be a team that can make a run at some point, maybe not this year, but, they have some really talented players in Waddle and Hill that are game breakers, and they continue obviously with the Chubb move and things like that. I mean, I, I think that it doesn't have to be he's mono mono with Josh Allen in terms of talent and production for it to be a successful stint and a successful quarterback and make the the Dolphins a, a contender. So uh, to me, the Chubb move was massive because we know the recipe to beat any team, but especially good quarterbacks is. Get a great pass rush with four, and, and use your secondary. And they got two great corners. So I, I think the Dolphins. I don't. I, they're certainly not at the Bills level, but they're ascending. And, and I think Tua is is doing enough, and he's continuing to make strides with the weapons around him. That that I think it should be respected. Not again. I don't think he's at the point where it's like, all right, is he going to be able to go mano mano with Allen like Mahomes and Allen did in the playoffs? I don't think they are at that point yet. But but I do think that he's someone that you just can't say, well, I'm not afraid of him anymore.
2: Yeah, I feel the exact same way. I, they're, they're a super super interesting and unique team. And now the Bradley Chubb edition, I mean, that it certainly opened some eyes. But I also view him as like, okay, he's a very good player, but he's played, he's had 26 sacks and has missed 24 games. You know, like, and to give them $64 million guaranteed, the, the, the betting, uh, the betting lines have not moved at all for the uh, Miami Dolphins since the move. So it'll be interesting to see how it all plays out, but I appreciate you, John. Thanks for joining me, man. Enjoy, uh, Jersey for the rest of your day. Hopefully you find a nice patio to go sit down on, watch some, watch some football. I appreciate you as always, dude.